Welcome to Called, a podcast where we explore the intersection of ministry and the rest of our lives as church workers. I'm Bill Smoots. And I'm Sarah Bariza. Join us on the first and third Tuesdays as we talk about cutting out the BS and embracing the good in ministry. Between the two of us, we have ministered in churches for over 50 years, and we haven't burned out yet. Emphasis on yet. I am a church musician, and I have worked all over the denominational spectrum and currently work in a United Church of Christ congregation. I am a Presbyterian pastor and have mostly served in Presbyterian congregations, though in recent years I have been working in uh, UCC congregational settings as an intentional interim transitional pastor. And today we're talking about annual reviews, how to do them, what we like about them. There is something about the United Church of Christ polity that makes this actually possible because currently Bill is the interim pastor at the church where I'm the minister of music, and Bill is the head of staff where I work, which means he's my boss. In most churches, there's no way I'm going to record a podcast episode about annual reviews with my boss because (laughs) so many churches where I've worked with fantastic people. I'm taking notes, Sarah. (laughs) But no, but in so many churches, the institutional structure is such that the the head minister has hiring and firing power oh. over everyone else. So I've, I've worked in a number of churches where the pastor f- hired me and the pastor could fire me that same day. And we had excellent and collegial rela- uh, relationship there, but not in one where I'd be like, so here's what I really think about our annual review process. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and Presbyterian polity is much the same way. The pastor does not tend to have ultimate uh, mm-hmm. hiring, firing ability, ability. Though that said, Sarah, could you stick around for a few minutes after the podcast? <laughs> oh, I have boy. something I want to talk to you about. <laughs> so we're talking about annual reviews and why to do them, how to do them. And yeah, there's some obvious reasons about why to do them. But I think that we're going to get into some strategic reasons that they can be really helpful in a congregation, not just on the individual employee level, but on the wider organizational structure level. So let's start out by what has to happen before you even have an annual review. This is where doing this ministry gig for 30 plus years has has come in somewhat useful because none of this stuff was taught to me in seminary. It's all been things that uh, I've learned along the way from other pastors or other church leaders who have taught me based on their experiences, as well as some intentional continuing education that I've said, oh, I need this kind of education if I'm going to be a pastor that that has uh, staff that works with staff and and needs to be in some kind of supervisory supervisory relationship with that staff. But first off, I, I think we've got to take a big step back, look big picture. A church needs to have a mission and vision. Every church needs to have a mission and vision. From that mission and vision, the church can then say, this is the governance structure that we use to carry out this mission mission and vision. And then the step back from that is, this is the personnel that we hire to support this governance structure in support of our mission and vision. This is actually even justifying why do we hire this particular person, or not necessarily this particular person, but why do we even have a minister of music? Why do we have a 
XYZ kind of pastor or other kind of employee in the church structure? What's the point? Why do they exist? Correct. If, if you can't justify, well, you can't justify. That's the wrong way to say it. Let's do it from the positive. That, that, um, when you have these bigger mission and vision pieces figured out, you then are clear about this is the kind of church we believe God is calling us to be. And this is then how we will approach being that church. Uh, so those are vital pieces. And, and you can't, it's not that you, you can't do reviews if you don't have these larger pieces thought out. But as, as you work on how are we a better church for our personnel? Uh, how are we a better place for people to, to work for us, to serve us? You need these pieces figured out over time as well. I think the mission and vision also very importantly tie into what a particular staff person's actual job is. And an annual review for people who are at a ministerial level, a leadership level, it's not about are you showing up on time? Are you doing the bare minimum of what you're supposed to be doing? I think a lot of it is about how does each person's creative work, the stuff that they are really generating and overseeing for the organization, for the church, how does that connect in with the broader mission of the church, with the vision of the church, because there should be a connection there. And um, sometimes the connection is not always clear, and it's important to clarify it, but it, it needs to be there because, you know, again, if you're hiring well, an annual review isn't, you know, oh, you need to make sure you show up on time. Like, that's that's not the, the point, really, of an annual review. Correct, correct. And, and while I don't tend to quote from the King James uh, authorized translation. I do because I grew up Baptist. <laughs> very much. There's there's a line in the pro- in Proverbs. I, I want to say twenty nine eighteen, but I could be wrong on that. Without a vision, the people perish. Mm-hmm. And and I've heard so many sermons on that. Yeah, like, I'm sure you have. But but I think it's <laughs> it's it's really a useful line. And and hopefully God is that vision. But but to to break that down into more specifics, local congregations are as strong or as weak as their vision for ministry. And so making sure that the, the place where you're serving, uh, is, is, has a good vision for mission and ministry or is in a process of determining, uh, a mission and vision is, is critical, especially when we move into the area of talking about personnel. So let's talk about annual reviews now in more specificity. And I think some of us, have done annual reviews before, but maybe haven't done them well or haven't understood the possibility for how uh, powerful and helpful they can be for people. And at the same time, I bet we have people listening who, like Bill said, never learned about this in seminary and are like, oh, and now I'm the senior pastor and I've had annual reviews as the assistant, but now I'm in charge. Huh. <laughs> and and depending on, on one's history, whether it's it's in a pastoral position or a or a non-pastoral position within a church, um, we we've all probably experienced some type of review where oh let's take this instrument that's used in corporation X Y and Z because uh, so and so works there and and we'll just transfer it to the church um, yeah. and it it. It, it doesn't work well because the church and the corporation are are different entities in a lot of ways. Not that they're you know, not places trying to stay in business; they share that similarity. But when one is a um, you know kind of a financial system and one's an emotional system, they operate in different ways. And and often those corporate 
personnel tools, as good as they may be, without a huge amount of interpretation and rewriting are not particularly useful. And in my experience, those tools have been used and, and annual reviews become this time of dread because it's the only time in, in an entire year that we drag out this kind of language or talk about expectations from this kind of perspective. And, and it just, and nobody knows what to do with it. And so it becomes, well, you didn't do this, this, and this, or we don't know how to talk to each other because of this. And, and my guess is a lot of us bear those scars and mm-hmm. they're not pretty or they're not helpful. So this is the point at which we say, hey, check out the show notes at calledpodcast.com and you can see the form, uh, an adapted form that we have used at the church where Bill and I both work and which really speaks to the strengths of employees, that speaks to the values of the church and which, you know, maybe can be adapted for your particular environment. Yes. So one way to make an annual review, not this thing that gets dragged out once a year and potentially used as a cudgel for people. <laughs> uh, we don't like those in the church um, or anywhere else, hopefully. Um, but it's, it's to use a quarterly system where you have quarterly check-ins and then you have an annual review and there are no surprises, we hope, at the actual annual review. That's right. So, so I like to think in terms of the annual review as, as both the conclusion of a year-long process, as well as the beginning of the next year's process, and and, and let me let me try and unpack that a little bit. Um, at each annual review, uh, part of the conversation of that review time needs to be looking forward and establishing some work goals for the next year ahead, and and hopefully these goals like the entire review are set in conversation. Uh, the person being reviewed, the person doing the review comes with some, some ideas about goals for this position, this individual in the next year ahead. Those are agreed upon at the review, uh, and then written down in a follow up. And, and that document is actually, um, you know, written up and signed by mm-hmm. each and person. And put in a personnel file. And, and goes in the personnel file. And then that becomes the start of, um, uh, over the next year's period to the next review time, that there are quarterly check-ins. Um, and at those quarterly check-ins, um, you're very specifically sitting down with the list of goals that were agreed upon at the annual review and saying, how are, how's it going on this list of goals? How are, are you making progress? Are you not making progress? Do you need resources you don't have? What's going on? And even does the goal need to change? Because sometimes you get into a year and, oh, you know, this is not going to happen. And again, this is not a cudgel so you can beat people up. Oh, you didn't do this thing that we agreed on. But, you know, life is life and, you know, circumstances change. And even the, the, uh, what is happening within the organization in terms of priorities change. And these annual check-ins can, or uh, quarterly check-ins can be a space to say like, oh, you know, goal number three is really not so important right now. And actually more energy needs to be put to goal number two. So that's okay. And we've agreed that that's an okay thing. Correct. Correct. And, and, you know, there's, there's this constant evaluating and evolution uh, throughout the year. And, and hopefully these, these quarterly conversations are based on the fact that you're having regular conversation um, uh, all along the way. With my direct reports, most of the time we're meeting weekly 
for about an hour. We're checking in. We're, we're making sure we're connecting on the things that we need to connect on. Um, and, and so, so yes, we're talking about those goals and bits and pieces throughout those weekly conversations, but it's those quarterly conversations where we're very intentional. The goals are the primary focus and we're seeing how we're doing. And again, uh, there's a little evaluation form. How are we doing? We take some notes on it. We both sign it. It goes in the personnel folder and, and we can have a copy of that available with the show notes as well. I think this paper trail is especially important if you are thinking about a turnover of staff, which of course we're thinking about here where we work because Bill is the interim pastor, which means he's not going to be here forever. Having this paper record means that a, a person can come in at the six-month point and be like, okay, we're going to do a six-month review. I don't really know what happened before, but I can look at this paper trail and at least get a sense of what's going on and get a sense of what has been agreed upon of the employee's tasks and jobs and goals. Like, you know, because um, when people come in, they may have different um, expectations and or different priorities. And that's certainly something to negotiate and something to um, to work with and hopefully grow with. But it's also um, unfair to ask people to just, you know, turn on a dime. And, and I would say as an intentional interim transitional pastor, this, this piece of paper uh, and keeping these notes also gives me a chance to um, lift up issues or concerns that I think are going to be important for the next pastor to be aware of. I don't know who that person's going to be, but I can write in uh, in my response to a question on a review form or as we're, we're looking at the goals, I, I can kind of plant some some clues, some hints, uh, Easter eggs. Isn't that the term they use mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. In, in technology? I think yours are more obvious, though. Right, right. And this thing needs to change. <laughs> the less subtle, the better. Um, yeah, but, not going to miss that. But but it, it gives me the opportunity to to lift up some some things I believe the next pastor is going to at least need to consider or, or needs to be aware of that, that they may not become aware of through an interview process. And it's not that people are intentionally trying to hide stuff, but but from the perspective of a member who's on a search committee, they may not know the ins and outs of oh, personnel. Yes, yeah, so many details. Right. So many details. And and part of my temporary job is to uh, leave as much hopefully useful information as I can for the next pastor so that they can you know, have have as much input and, and ask right questions and then begin to make decisions for themselves and uh, for their time with the church that are that are healthy and faithful. And even if there isn't an expected uh, changeover in uh, employees, annual reviews can also be useful in this organizational sense because they give some collective evidence. And I'm thinking, for instance, I did annual reviews with all the staff singers at the church where I work this summer, and then I was able to say like, oh, the majority of people mentioned X issue. I can bring that to the relevant committee. I can bring that um, to the attention of people who can make certain changes so that this issue that many people had can be addressed. Yes, a good supervisor is hopefully always listening mm-hmm. and and not just saying, okay, here's my agenda. Mm-hmm. We we've checked off my list, but but what what's the input you're receiving from your employees that um is actionable mm-hmm. and 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 can be useful in shaping not only the way you think but how the larger system might need to think or might need to act. Mm-hmm. And if people are telling you something, you should listen to them. Yes, that's true, but I think it's um for some of us, like I'm thinking of me, how I sometimes am a 
connection between the rest of the church and the staff singers that I supervise. And by having kind of accumulated accumulated evidence, it, it becomes something more than just, oh, well, I think so. I'd like to shift, if we could, a little bit and talk about um, when you're dealing with an employee where the situation is not of goodwill. Mm, uh, yes, this uh, is important. One, one, of the, one of the realities that I've enjoyed in, in my time uh, at this particular people. congregation. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> is is that, that I'm working with a staff of people that want to be here, that mm, are yeah, interested sure. in ministry yeah. here. And so when we do a review process, it's it tends to be a pr- pretty positive thing mm-hmm. because we're all kind of moving in the same direction. And we're, we're in relationship already. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. It's but, not a fractured but, relationship. But there are times where, you know, I've stepped into a situation where there has been uh, issues with an employee for a long time that perhaps have not been resolved, or where the introduction of a new pastor or you know just a, a new staff mix, somebody isn't fitting in as well, and and uh, and they're not identifying that for themselves, but are acting out on their sense of not, and I don't fit in, or it doesn't feel like it used to, um, and and they act out on that. And so you suddenly you've got uh, an issue with a, uh, an employee. And, and again, this, this review process that's based on regular communication, that's based on the, the mission and vision of the congregation, um, that's based on quarterly review of those goals, that's based on process, process, process. It, it takes away some of the, the personality conflict and says, let's focus on your performance towards the mission and vision of the congregation. And, and if that cannot be made right over time even even if you if supervisor and uh, the person they're supervising don't get along you know if, if, if but that person is still working towards the mission and vision of the of the larger organization things can happen but 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 if they're not working in those directions um, this process can be useful in that it's uh, it, it is process, it's not personal, it is measured, it is recorded so that things can be followed over time. And if you have to go to deeper levels where, you know, you're, you're moving towards uh, terminating an employee, um, these process pieces are all of use in that. Um, hopefully they help you avoid that. But there's times where you get to that. You know, this is reminding me of the research that I'm doing for a book that I'm writing uh, that basically relates to being ourselves in ministry, being authentic, being genuine. And a number of people that I've talked with have mentioned how when conducting annual reviews or just in general dealing with people that they supervise, they have had to realize that their personal tendency to be quote unquote kind has been a real, real detriment because then they were not also speaking the truth by saying, Oh, you need to fix this thing. And, and they came to the realization that much as they felt like them, what they wanted as a person and like in terms of their like emotional state and their heart state, they really wanted to just like speak positively and be kind and those kinds of, um, you know, positive emotions there. At the end of the day, they had to also speak the truth. And if you were raised in a family system that encouraged kindness and lack of conflict, avoidance of conflict, it makes being in a supervisory position even that much more special. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That That's one of the biggest personal hurdles I've had to get over is I, I always I, I always want to be kind. Don't don't get me wrong. I don't want to not. But these leave are not that. mutually exclusive. Correct, yep. correct. And there are times where conflict is just 
an inescapable reality and and not because you go looking for it because but because the 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 goals of the organization and the goals you've maybe established with an employee uh then become in conflict with the relationship or how that person's acting and and maybe it's a function of age or maybe it's a function of being uh beat up a little bit for being too kind, but, but I've gotten over that to a large extent, um, and have learned that there's just times where you have to be more, uh, focused, more stern, uh, draw those expectations and be clear about them, hopefully in a kind way and in as generous and genuine a way as you can, but still, um, my job is not to keep you as my friend if 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 you're an employee that's in conflict with the, the goals of the church. My job is to help you get in line with the goals of the church or help you find a way out to a place where you're going to be mm-hmm. uh, happier yeah. or, or where the church will be happier because you're not there. I, I think of this Stephen Sondheim quote, nice is different from good. Hmm. And that's really appropriate here. Like you know, we, we want to speak the truth and maybe we can say that in a nice way or not, but or hopefully we can say it in a nice way, but ultimately we want to speak the truth and we want to be good yes, rather than nice. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and if Sondheim doesn't work for you, there's a quote from the Eagles, uh, <laughs> in, in their song, get over it. Uh, oh. and, and the, the, the chorus goes, stop your bitching and moaning and pitching a fit. Get over it. Get over it. <laughs> and, 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 and while I would never quote that in its totality in a personnel meeting. Uh, the get over it piece uh, can, I think, really be useful. There's times when we all need to get over a particular issue or we all need to get over our ourselves. That's our what I'm thinking. I think we have to get over, yeah, and, and the sense of like, oh, I'm a nice person. I, I mean, I personally struggle with this. I'm, I was raised in the South. I'm really good at being nice um, and also a girl. You know, those two things, yeah, I'm really nice. And this is something that I've had to, you know, I have to get over that, that identity of self to actually live into what I want to be as a person, which is truthful and kind or, right. or, and good. Yeah. And, and, and while this, this episode's not about family systems theory yeah. or dynamics, it's good stuff, folks. And, and the better you understand yourself systemically, uh, the healthier you'll be able to function, uh, not only in your family of origin and your, your, your nuclear family, if you have one, uh, but in the, in the, the, the church community that operates very much like a family as well. One of the things that often happens in church-related personnel uh, reviews is somebody will say, oh, we ought to get a sense of what other people think about this person. Um, and, and uh, You can't see me, but I'm over here going, what? Well, it's, what? It's, Don't it's, do it. Don't do it. It's a trap. <laughs> yes, it is a trap. Um, one, one of the churches I served, uh, I'd been there a year and personnel was doing a review of me at my request because they hadn't really ever done that for a pastor before. And somebody said, Oh, we got to find out what the congregation thinks. So they put a note in the bulletin. Hey, if you've got thoughts about, you know, what Pastor Bill's first year here has been like, uh, let us know. So do you think the people bad, bad, that bad, were bad, bad, bad. happy with my job or okay with my job said anything? No. They heard from three or four or five people that didn't care for me. I wasn't the previous pastor. Um, I was too 
conservative or too progressive, depending on their perspective, you know, fill in the, you know, whatever. And, and, and so all of a sudden, so this personnel committee had, had this ton of negative information and they realized as they were getting it in, oh, we asked for this in the wrong way, but now we have to deal with this. We made this. a mistake. Yeah. And, and, and so we found a way forward. Um, and, and I think it's appropriate almost in any position, um, to talk to a committee chair that a person, uh, a church employee works oh, yeah. with, yeah. get that kind of input. But, but that's you, like a valid known person. Correct. Yeah. You, you just you've always got to be careful in in how you solicit input mm-hmm. from others in the process, and that doesn't mean a personnel process should be closed in a congregation. Mm-hmm. But but it has to be very intentionally thought through, or you make well-intentioned mistakes that that can be problematic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think of this in the way that, like, I mean, we're kind of getting into surveys at, the, at this point, but getting feedback from chosen people who are not anonymous is very different from anonymous feedback. Correct. Very, very Correct. different. Because people, and I, I don't mean that then people can't say negative things, but then they are responsible for the negative things that they say. Correct. Correct. And, and yeah, I, I, I won't take anonymous feedback, uh, anywhere, any way, no. any shape, any form. If I get an anonymous email or an anonymous letter left in my church mailbox, I often read them from the pulpit the next Sunday because I don't think that's, I mean, f- secret keeping and that kind of stuff is not healthy for congregations. And, and I'm not trying to shut those voices up. I'm trying to say, there's a process. There's an appropriate way for you to make your concerns known. You need to use them. And we have to pay attention to that in personnel processes as well. Because besides wanting to be a good and faithful and open and honest community of disciples of Jesus, there are also legal requirements, state requirements, federal requirements that churches have to meet in their personnel work um, and, and they got to be careful here. They've got to be intentional here and not just it feels good or it seems right in the moment. Um, there, there's confidentiality pieces that have to be observed. There are legal aspects that you have to have some knowledge of. And, and if you don't, you can make mistakes that are uh, costly to individuals, costly to yourself, costly to the organization. So we're going to finish up with one last person in the personnel of a church, senior pastors, who are usually the head of staff. Correct. And so... Teaching elder, whatever it's called in your congregation. Usually they're the head of staff. So who who's Ooh. supervising them? And I think we should say this, of course, really depends on the denomination. It does. It does. And, and, and there may be polity that dictates this, or there may be individual bylaws or a, a governance structure of an individual church that, that uh, already outlines this. But... I think it's important that the the pastor also be reviewed um, in a way that is as fair and forthright as the review process for uh, the rest of the staff. And doesn't involve anonymously pulling the congregation. <laughs> yes, yes. Amen to that, Sister Sarah. Um, and, and so what I've tried to do in the different churches I've served is that we use the same process that I use for the rest of the staff, but then there's a particular group that does my review. In, in my current, uh, UCC congregational, uh, setup where there is a council, uh, and the council runs the church, the executive committee of the council, the, the council president, vice president, secretary, and treasurer 
will be the group that does my review. And, and I will fill out the same paperwork that everyone fills out, um, set up the same goal structure. Um, the place where I find this falls down is, is the executive committee, um, is sometimes not very good on doing those quarterly check-ins unless I prompt them. And, and oh yeah, that's like so far from like, pressing it is, it is. There's, there's other things yeah. on fire um, but I think it's important that I really try and follow the same process I put everyone through hopefully then you're not getting surprises every year then correct, <laughs> you, correct. No, but nobody wants a negative surprise in a year and you know what surprises in an annual review are not positive they're almost well, negative. And, and if you've done the process correctly there should not be surprises. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because you will have identified any issues in your regular conversations and in those quarterly reviews and be taking action towards them so that by the time you get to the annual review, the, that surprise doesn't exist. If, if you get there and there's been a surprise, wow, there's been a dramatic shift late in the game or you haven't done the process right along the way. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Okay. Remember, you can find a form that you can use or you can adapt to use for annual reports at calledpodcast.com. So let's talk about our reads of the week. I think this week we both have blog posts. So the blog post that I read that I think is really interesting is called No More Interim Pastors. Sorry, Pastor Bill, by Jan Edmiston on the Church for Starving Artists. And I'll have a link for this in the show notes. And what... And what the author is proposing is that instead of talking to congregations about an interim pastor as an interim pastor, rather talking to congregations about this time as a transitional time, a transitional pastor, and thinking of it not even about transition to the next person, but about transition into the 21st century, transition into the future for the church, transition out of old habits, old ways of doing things that no longer, that may have been great in the past, but no longer serve the congregation. And as someone who just loves words, I think, and and and, and thinks of, as someone who loves words and really places a lot of power in words, I think words are um, transformative. I think that they're really important. And I think that thinking of Using different language when talking to a congregation, for instance, saying a transitional pastor, that can be really helpful for the whole culture of the church. So just really, really interesting for me, especially as I currently work in a congregation where there is an interim pastor. Transitional pastor, so. Yes. Yeah, and isn't that what you're called, an interim transitional pastor? I, I, I'm trying to be more intentional in using that interim transitional language. I think Jan's right that it does need to be seen as transitional, but this is this is a transition uh, in, in this approach to ministry. Intentional interim ministry has really only existed since the late 1960s, early 1970s, and while folks have been aware that that is in transition as everything about the church is in transition, this is an attempt to, to begin to transition the language uh, mm-hmm. in ways that are mm-hmm. very helpful. So this is kind of, um, you know, interim transitional ministry 2.0 uh, mm-hmm. in some ways with with this language shift. I think Jan's right on target. Um, Jan's a great thinker about the church and how it fits into the future. And uh, read this blog post, but also tag it and read every blog post she puts up because <laughs> yep. you will you stuff. will learn a lot from her. Um, but but I think it's it's a it's a hugely important point and it one of the things I've heard the whole time I've been in ministry is is we're all 
interim pastors, some of us just stick around longer than others. Uh-huh. And, and, and this, this idea really gets at the church is always in transition if we truly believe that we are following the Holy Spirit into God's future. And, and whether you're an intentional transitional pastor or you're just a called, installed, or settled pastor, you're still doing transitional work. Mm-hmm. And we always need to In the sense of living into way. the future and following Yes. Yes. And and I think that that goes that broadens out beyond just pastoral positions. That anybody on a church staff is is in transitional work. Mm -hmm. Uh, While they may have a specific portfolio, um, the the church and the culture within which the church exists is always in flux. This goes back to what we were saying about annual reviews and how they connect to the vision for the church. Well, vision is future oriented, right? You're looking into the future. You're looking prophetically, one would hope, into the future and and seeing how your particular, here's what I do every Monday and every Tuesday and every Wednesday, that kind of day-to-day work, how that lives into the future, how that listens to the Holy Spirit and moves forward. And this is the same kind of thing, a transitional thing, is forward-looking. Yes, yes, very much so. Good good article. Go go find it. So what do you have? I, I have... Not a book, not even a, a blog post. I have an article from the uh, October 29th, 2019 New York Times. Ooh, newspapers. Uh, the, the author is Taylor Lorenz, and the article title is OK Boomer, in quotes, marks the end of friendly generational relations. Huh. Uh, now it's war. Yeah. Gen Z has finally snapped over climate change and financial inequality. And, and uh, what it's lifting up is the phrase, um, okay, boomer, uh, uh, is often a kind of a response that millennials or, or Gen Z folks offer to boomers who've been railing on them for being lazy or for not buying into the American dream or, or having too much debt or whatever they're railing on them about. And, and okay, boomer is kind of one of those, you know, I'm just done with you. Uh, type responses. And I had not heard this response before, but wow, do I get it? Because I'm, I'm tail end of the boomer generation. I have children who are millennials. I work with staff people like Sarah who are millennials. And, and I think a lot of them. And I also realize what they have taken on, on kind of behalf of the larger culture that hasn't wanted to make hard decisions. They've taken on a hell of a lot of, uh, financial debt to pay for school. Uh, they, are uh, living the gig economy uh, to the max. Even mm-hmm. even people who are employed full time have a second and even a third part time job just to make it work because there's been economic stagnation since the 70s. Or are in a case where yes, this is a creative impulse, but also a very important professional thing. I do podcasts. I'm a full time employee. Bill is a full-time employee, and this is a professional pursuit for us. It is a, a certain kind of gig. We aren't making money from it, but it is a very integral part of the work that we're doing. Correct. Though, if you'd like to help us make money for it, uh, no, our- <laughs> uh, what is it, a $20 bill? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you tape that $20 bill to a uh, large flat-screen TV yep. uh, and, and mail it to us. We're here in St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was click and clack, I think, yep. that that yep, worked yep, for. Yep. So, but, but- you know, talk to your millennial or Gen Z children or grandchildren or friends, or if the church actually has anybody in that age, talk to them about their student debt and and the fact mm-hmm. that they can't and how much they pay on it, how every much month they and pay how on many it every years month. they're going to pay on it, every and month. and the fact My that God. they can't refinance that debt to a lower interest rate because the 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 government has written the federal government has written uh, the the 
regulations around those loans so that the loan, the people making the loans make lots of money for a long, long time. And mm-hmm. the people taking out the loans and paying them back basically get screwed. Mm-hmm. And uh, are often taking out those loans when they're 18 and their what frontal lobes haven't developed yet. And they can't understand the risk associated with right. that. Nor can their parents necessarily mm-hmm. understand yeah. the risk with that. Yeah. So or, many parents. Do, yeah. Sorry. I'm going to, de- I'm going to devolve into a soapbox. No, I, I, <laughs> I get it. And, and should, or the fact that, that a lot of young folks have been promised that if you go into the not-for-profit world or you go into government service and and work 10 years, your loans will be forgiven. And and Mm -hmm. through our current administration and the current uh, education department, less than 1% of people applying for that program nine and 10 years in are being accepted. 99% are being denied Mm -hmm. uh, because there's been a change in attitude about those folks being too entitled. And a change in supervision about how... um, how the paperwork is done. So much of this is about paperwork. Yeah. I, I speak as someone whose husband is in this program and it terrifies me that this couldn't work out in 10 years. Yeah. And so, so I, okay, boomer is probably something that us older folks need to pay attention to. Um, not only because these are other human beings and probably a lot of human beings we're related to, but because if we want to have a healthy functional society, uh, and if we particularly in the faith, in a, in a faith community want to be faithful to our traditions and to caring for everybody in the community, um, then we need to understand what's behind this phrase. I'm going to share this article with uh, the governing body here mm-hmm. um, yep. uh, because I think it's reading they need to have. Mm-hmm. So that was enough of a rant, wasn't it? I have barely even started into <laughs> Don't tempt me. <laughs> so that's it for this week's installment of Cold. Look for new episodes on the first and third Tuesdays of the month. Only some of them have rants from Sarah and <laughs> They all do. They all do. Uh, you can find show notes at calledpodcast.com. We've referred to that several times, but please go there and use them. Mm-hmm. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with your ministry buddies and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Bill Smoots. And I'm Sarah Bariza. Until next time, cut out the BS and embrace the good.